Welcome back to The Evolution. My name is Jeff Bayless. Uh, as you probably well know by now, this project is about resilience and persevering through adversity. I've had some interesting interviews. Uh, I've also shared some things, uh, stories of my own. Uh, one of my guests here today is a, is a repeat guest, but uh, we're going to try something different, somewhat of an experiment. Uh, and we have our significant others here. Uh, so. We have Maylene uh, and David Drew Gleaver and my wife, Heidi. So thank you guys for sharing your time. Uh, Dave and Maylene, thanks for coming out to Virginia Beach, uh, to my home. I know this is very professional, <laughs> but uh, no, I do appreciate your time. And uh, hopefully with what we share today, uh, you know, we can help some people out because uh, that's what it's all about. So welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Darling. <laughs> Thank you for letting me do this in our home. Uh, so I guess the idea behind this conversation would be uh, Dave and I have obviously shared our uh, struggles, our, our issues that we've worked through or still working through or maybe a constant uh, progression, right, of evolution, uh, to use the catchphrase of the podcast. Uh, but what would your guys' uh, what would your thoughts be on how uh, you feel uh, we have evolved or that we have uh, dealt with the issues that you've seen? Well, I think we ha Heidi and I share some of what we've known probably you guys for about the same amount of time, about seven, eight years we've been together. And I've actually had... I've known David for our whole life, actually. And That's right. We had yeah. some back and forth that we officially got together again about seven years ago. And it's been a journey. I'm, um, let's see, he, he was just getting out of the, the Navy and he went, he was going to Rice to get his, and, my business degree, my MBA. MBA. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> six, six seven paper. years we got there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just that little piece of paper. Yeah. So we, I was. So we met up. I, I didn't really. Um, I guess. I didn't really. We didn't really connect through the Navy. I was going to college and have some other life things. But yeah, we reconnected after the Navy, and so so we had grown up together. Um, so when so we met up, it, w it was a little bit different. I remember the first time we went to... Tell us, before we get yeah. there, tell us uh, how you guys grew up together. Tell us that story. Yeah, we were born in the same hospital, and our moms are both Filipino nurses. And What are the odds? What are the odds? Yeah, we're both born yeah, in the same <laughs> hospital, and and yeah, it's, it's... And then we kind of, like I think around maybe two or three years old, our parents took us. He grew up in Texas, and then I grew up in Montana. Yeah. So I'm, I grew up in Montana, but throughout our teenage years, he would come skiing for spring break and winter breaks, and I always really looked forward to that. And yeah, it was a great time. So I, so I was homeschooled also, so I always had like a childhood crush on him since like probably did you know that? thirteen or fifteen. He gave me my first kiss on the cheek in Florida. <laughs> And it was after church, and I didn't wash my face for two days. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Did you know that? 
I always knew that there was something there, and if I did, it seemed like everyone else did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah. we had mutual friends that would just out of the blue when we were teenagers say, "Are you guys gonna get married?" Yeah, like, it was like, really <laughs> awkward because we didn't know how to communicate with each other. You know, so we always knew something was there. You know, so to answer your question, yeah, I just didn't know how it was gonna manifest as we as we grew up. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah, when he would call, I'd be like, I'd get all hot and sweaty, and then I couldn't talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, and so being homeschooled, I wasn't around many guys. You know, there was a few, just very few. And so it was just kind of imprinted on my life. <laughs> and then, um, but then when he went into the Navy, I thought he didn't like me anymore, and kind of, you know, the letters kind of was more far and few between. Did you understand like being in submarine service? No, I didn't. I didn't. I was just like, all I can think was like, he doesn't care about me, so I guess I'll just move on. (laughs) I don't know. But but you you know, just life takes. You know, you can't. So I I understood it later. I'm like, okay, you have to go to college and focus on other things. But I kind of grew up very differently. It's just focused on home and family. More traditional. More very traditional. I think a lot of things were going on at that time that I'm still teasing apart. I would say that going back to the, our original podcast, when mm-hmm. I, you asked me what was the impact of trauma, and the first thing I said was trust. It's essentially inability to trust people. And I think if there's anyone to be able to trust on this planet, it's Maylene. <laughs> you know? yeah. uh, that being said, that kind of shows how difficult it was for me to create, establish, and maintain a relationship, you know, what, if, how did, how did she earn your trust? Oh Lord, <laughs> that's a great question. So again, going back to the original part, she had sort of chased me all my life, right? And so she had put in the reps, you know, <laughs> like, so, I mean, it's, I think over all the years, I mean, just sort of adding up all the scores. I mean, she had taken a bus all the way across the country to come see me. She had written letters ad nauseum, you know, all throughout our childhood through college that we kept and she just recently put into a book, you know, that's like a size of an encyclopedia. It's actually pretty <laughs> overwhelming, you know, to see that chronology, you know, play out. And so um, that's how she earned my trust. She was always there. She's she was always reliable and never gave me a lot of reason to not trust her, frankly, you know, over and above anyone else or any of my other relationships that I've had or significant others. It's also interesting, I think, uh, we haven't had this conversation, uh, but it's very interesting that you guys communicate so much in written word. Yes, our whole life, it's kind of become the norm. It's almost like easy because we were childhood I mean I would spend three days composing there because the, being homeschooled you could kind of slack off a lot of stuff growing up so my mm. sister basically taught me how to write letters and I learned how to write because of him yeah and I learned how to <laughs> look up big words and study SATs and hopes of impressing him one day because of my better vocabulary so my sister helped me it took me about like five hours to write just a paragraph because I just did not I mean, we were just my sister and I. That's it. Yeah. So very handicapped. Do you you appreciate, like, so to bring you in, maybe, like, I know you really like the written word. I love the written word. Yeah. Yeah. I think I find that almost an easier place to express myself. Yeah. I have trouble with the spoken word sometimes, at least in trying to express my, my thoughts. 
Yeah. It's also a talent you have, right? And yeah. uh, I'm assuming, I mean, you're very articulate, uh, Dave, with your spoken word, but I'm assuming I've never read anything other than your LinkedIn article, but, you know, or stuff you have posted on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes <clears throat> for you, maybe, it, it's about like taking the time to write it out, right? Whereas it's, is, is, it a, is that a fair assessment? Like, cause, yeah. so like you did the quote book for Ashley, like you wrote all these quotes for her when she graduated high school. You did that for me when I went on deployment. Mm -hmm. She wrote all these uh, quotes or, cause we're both quote nerds. I don't know. Like, oh my gosh, me too. <laughs> yeah, I love quotes. Like, I have a whole list of them. It's I love cliche, them. but I love it. I don't care. Like it's, yeah, mm -hmm. you get off on that. But so like for you, writing in a book for Ashley or writing in that book for me before deployment, it was like, hey, I care enough about you to spend the time to write all this stuff out when it would be really easy for me to make a phone call and say all those things in five minutes, but it's a, it's an extension of effort, right? Like, mm -hmm. is that fair? Or? I just also think that when you write something, you can take your time with it oh. before you put it out there. You can put your emotions. It's, you know, it's like that four agreements where it's like keep your word impeccable yeah. if you write it you have to take the time to see it and visualize it and maybe maybe change it before it is presented to that other person so it's maybe a little bit too I don't know maybe it's a little bit too confined in one way but I that's that was my comfort zone it's like okay if I write it I can think about it before I say it just to be careful <laughs> you know and also to preserve it like we can look back at that and sentimental value yeah and you know yeah. and it, it's um what does that mean to you uh being impeccable with your word i just feel like you know people let things let emotions rule sometimes and things fly out of their mouths that they don't necessarily mean and they're out there at that time and sometimes that's not easily forgotten um that was one of those, well, that book meant a lot to me. That's why I shared it with you. Was it the first book I ever shared with you? That's right. It may have been the first book I actually ever read. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's after a Navy tech manual. Yeah. Because uh, I, uh, I would read, uh, like in high school, I would just read like the Cliff Notes or the, what was the other one? Like Monogram or, there was another one, like a knockoff Cliff Notes. Anyway, very rarely did I read, uh, but you inspired me. Like when you gave me that book, and now, uh, you know, like I'm enlightened or just read every book that's out. But I, I do a lot of a fair share of reading. And you almost read more than I do now. Which well, audio books help. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I I I digest a lot of content. Yeah, but all that yeah. was from you. I mean, you inspired me with that, and that book was the first one, probably. Well, it's short. It's easy, and it's just crazy how you know these. It it seems so simple. You know, if I really just did these four things and live my life that way, it would be so much better. Yeah. You know, but. And that's Don Miguel Ruiz. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. as a reference for anybody, uh, it's a great book. I think uh, Jeff, Jeannie, Craig, and I talked about that one. So it, it comes up in multiple conversations because it's so, one, it's accessible, it's so true, and it, it's easy to digest, but just because it's easy to understand doesn't mean it's easy to do, right? Uh, typically, the simplest solutions are the hardest to implement. Right. But if you're thinking about it, though, that's what the book does, is it keeps bringing you back. Like, <clears throat> oh, yeah, I should be impeccable with my word. I shouldn't take things personally. You know? Do your best. Always do your best. You know, just those are basic things, but we just 
sometimes go through our day and forget it. It's interesting to hear Heidi talk about your approach to you know, how you use the written word in your relationship and it's ours is a bit different at least from my perspective I'm not sitting there looking over Maylene's shoulder when she's writing but I think the first thing the reason I think it's so meaningful is that first of all I you know usually read her emails at you know 4 45 a.m. in the morning when I'm feeling the best and I'm present and I have this thought like well she took time to write this out and she was sitting down and present and you know architecting this message you know just for me like just one-to-one yeah. And I think that carries a pretty high premium, especially nowadays, with, with, with you know all, all the tweets and the the blips and the blops, you know, like all over, and we're just inundated with little tiny, you know, digestible bits of information that are pretty superficial. So when someone sits down and takes the time to write an email and and be as crafted as you're alluding to, Heidi, is that I think that's that's sort of like a really precious thing, and we've somehow. Um, sort of maintain that throughout you know the, all the you know the length of our relationship and that's why it's become so meaningful um, and then furthermore the way she you know I respond to Maylene I, I actually turn it into kind of like a therapeutic exercise where I'm just sort of like flowing I'm trying to not edit as much so I'm kind of on the other end of the spectrum although like I've, I've done a lot of evolving in that sense you know for me being sort of OCD about my words is not where I want to be anymore like yeah. I want to just sort of let it flow yeah. and I've learned a lot from Aileen in that sense where I'm just sort of like hey just want to let go and yeah. whatever like comes to your mind just let it out like give yourself permission to have a voice whether that's written word or, or otherwise or smoke signals whatever you know so it's like you know so that you know is a therapy you know and the fact that we have that open channel of written communication has been really just part of the evolutionary process and very healing did we finish how your relationship oh, got together, or did we kind of... Well, we reconnected back in 2012, around there, and I flew down to San Francisco and saw him, and that was after he got out of the Navy, and <clears throat> so I stayed the night, and that's when I started, I'm like, something's different than when, say, our childhood, I'm like, he doesn't, immediately had to, like, take a nap because he said he didn't sleep well, but I didn't really know what that meant. And then, like, staying that first night, I slept terrible. Like, I didn't, because he was, he must have got up, like, maybe probably 13 times or to go to the bathroom, and it just woke him in a pile of sweat from, like, then he said he had, like, some PTSD, and you could just tell this internal turmoil that was going on. You're, uh, you're pressing your I, I would just, I would yeah, just, like, I why just, is it just, yeah, it just, that sounds familiar. It <laughs> sounds familiar. yeah. It does. Yeah, and I was sure, sure. Well, I'm not going to interrupt that, but I would just say very similarly, when you came back from deployment, even in the very early stages of our marriage, I, you, you had similar things. Like I, I just, I was actually just shocked um, at your inability to sleep well, getting up in the middle of the night. Sometimes, one time, I found him asleep in the closet, on the floor. On the floor in the closet, and I was like, "What is why? Why would you do that?" I, I just—it's not something I ever experienced before, and I would—it it, it was really disturbing to me. And I was like, "You're not sleeping well. What's the matter with you?" And I noticed like he would, you know, make all these noises and just be extremely restless, and sometimes or or wake up and he'd be in another room. 
Yes. Which I'm like, why did you get up and leave? Like, yeah. did you were you not comfortable with me? What's you know? So that that was a whole phase of not understanding what was going on with that. So that just sounded familiar. Yeah, that was the beginning of like a lot of. Wow, restless nights. I remember I couldn't, we would kind of have this long distance relationship. Sometimes I'd be like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to sleep when I go home. And then I was, then I thought like, well, what does that mean? He's sleep, what's that, what does that feel like for him to be that person? And it felt like he was in a battle every night, waking up, talking, not talking, but sometimes he would talk, but grinding his teeth like so loud. Like I'm telling you, like I would put his hands on his jaw. I'm like, stop grinding your teeth. Just like, what is going on inside you? Like, and I didn't quite put it together in 2012. I'm not sure how far you want me to take it until. Whatever feels good um, to you, yeah, no. I guess, so I mean, there's, we were talking about trauma and, and, and the Navy abuse, and, and, and I would say when I found out about his childhood abuse was in 2015. So that's three years, and I remember I was, so I do energy work. I'm a kinesiologist, which means I'm kind of like a chiropractor, but I work with muscles and I do some emotional work. I do some like called clearing the heart wall. And so when I was, we got back together again, I was just really amping up my practice and I kind of use him to be my guinea pig. Mm-hmm. I practice and I'm like, and I'm like, gosh, your heart chakra's off. It doesn't even, it's not even there. It's not even connected. So I remember clearing some stuff from his heart wall the first time, and I, I was just so emotional afterwards. But in 2015, I was starting this other type of therapy I do called spiritual response therapy. And I remember he was laying on the couch, and I was sitting at the table, and I'm like, this can't be right. Like, I don't even understand. It was, it's, I got abuse, I got, like, uncle, I got eight years old and then it was so much emotion flooding me that I just started crying and I was like I'm like I don't know what's I'm like I don't know why I can't work on you it's so intense for me and I just kind of would stop because it would overwhelm me and I remember the day he told me and I'm like I'm like were you ever like abused and he's like well you never asked and I'm like (laughs) (laughs) yeah and I was like and I'm like because, because I remember him laying in the couch because he would never, he could never be right there next to me. It was almost like too intense because I didn't know. And I think the emotions, just a lot of confusion when, you, when you're not, when you're not necessarily in denial of it. You just don't want to talk about it. And it's just like, that's unnecessary. It's in a space that's unaccessible. It's unaccessible, yeah. yeah. Um, maybe he was, you know, wasn't connected or in a place to, to even go there and so for me like saying something that I didn't even know happened it just kind of came up in kind of a healing session I was just trying to balance the chakras right mm-hmm. and it just over and then when he told me I was so shocked because it was a family friend that my family had had trusted mm-hmm. and anybody that uh, just for reference I think your episode four or five uh, so if anybody wants more of that backstory, it's David Drew Believer. Uh, I think it's episode four. Uh, sorry, not to interrupt. Oh yeah, no, it was it was really a shock to me because he was very um, maybe flippant about it, or just like yeah, it was it just happened. I'd be like, just a minute here. That's like that's not some small thing, and so it, that happened next. Yeah, and so I was just like. 
<laughs> but at the same time, I could see him really wanting to change. I saw him like going to a deep pack. He spent like seven grand going to a deep pack healing the heart retreat. Pretty much at the D-Pak, same yeah. time, okay. Deepak Chopra. Oh, he's D-Pak. pretty. He's yeah, Deepak okay. Chopra. He's pretty yeah. well known. He had this, and, and it was crazy. We're familiar with. Uh, yeah, yeah I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so he was. He was going. He went to that, and he came. I think, yeah, and he came back from that. A lot, like he just started opening. He started looking, reading books. I feel like just wanting to help his health because his health was really affecting him you know the not sleeping constantly tired just the exhaustion and i'd be like why is he always taking a nap like i don't feel like this is right yeah a little color on the the retreat that i went to so it was actually two and the first one was called healing the heart mm-hmm. so it was like a long weekend out in uh, i think it was costa mesa costa mesa resort so really posh type of place it's, <laughs> yeah Deepak is sort of want to do and so like you know so, so but, but but I mean it was the first and it was all women I remember I showed up it's like I'm like oh, holy god you know what I mean I'm like am I in the wrong place is this that's, like a women's talk group that's how I feel at every yoga class <laughs> yeah and um so there was there was one sort of highlight real moment there where they had uh, everyone put in concentric circles so you had people on the outside and inside and then you would just rotate the circles and, and share your story with just strangers and my intention for this was to, I mean, in general healing, but also all these, all the symptoms that Maylene's talking about was, mm-hmm. uh, this was like the start of the journey. Like, how do I fix this stuff? I'll go to the ends of the world and the most esoteric, you know, things and places to find healing. And so this was sort of the start of that, you know. And so as I was sharing my, my story, I remember there's one lady, she was, she was a, bit, a good bit older, and she started crying when I was sharing what had happened to me. And after that, she kept, even after I left, she did What, uh, what was the story? Was yeah. it the sexual abuse? The, right. The Navy mm-hmm. abuse? The yeah, specifically. Parental the, abuse? The sexual abuse, I think specifically. Specifically the sexual abuse. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And, and maybe a couple other things, I, I, I don't know, I was just sort of John. And to clarify, yeah. it's uh, childhood sexual abuse. I mean, right. we all know that, but just for others. Yeah, to catch folks up, and yeah. so... Um, and so, and she started inviting me over for like Christmas and stuff. And, you know, it's like, who are you going to be with? So she's really concerned about my social support circle, which I thought was actually very insightful of her at the time, which, yeah. you know, sessions later, you know, counselors, therapists would say, well, who, what is your support circle? And I'd, I'd be like, my God, I basically have none. I mean, not saying that weren't people that were trying, but, you know, from my perspective, uh, that certainly was the case, right? You know, and so, um, so that, that was... Uh, a really great event, I thought, in terms of starting to sort of give myself permission to share my yeah. story with others. It started with strangers initially, and so the reason I'm saying this is because for folks that are listening is, you know, it's it's okay to start you know in a place where it may not be the closest person to well, you. I was going to ask you, did you find it easier to tell her than Maylene? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah well, absolutely. So why? Yeah, yeah. and Maylene was a close second. I would say, you know, yeah. so you know, not that too far off, right? But. Um, it's so funny you ask that because uh, I literally wrote an email to a close friend laying out how much easier it is to talk to certain segments of people and how much harder it is with others. So basically, in that a nutshell, yeah, it's much easier for me to talk to basically like Uber, Uber drivers, drivers, my customers <laughs> and prospects, my managers, etc., where there's some kind of you know kind of business or transactional or even dollar amount that's tied to it. 
or there's there's that space right where they're not too close right and so and there's a second list whether it's there's no fear of reprisal there's no fear of reprisal like yeah. you know because it's like they're there and they're gone you know um and then there's a second list where it's you know they're there in your life just fortuitously or randomly if you will and i've always struggled with that bucket of uh of folks you know in terms of um, just in general, like with trust, and then also with sharing the the story. So it always, I, I could, I always say that doing Uber, going with the Uber drivers as the as a passenger is a cathartic experience for me because I can just share anything, you know. <laughs> I, you know and I get, you know, I have a, I have a an audience hey, that's forced hey, to listen to me. Don't right? tell anybody, but I just robbed this liquor store. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that, that was like the nest for me. Yeah. Like, that, that was like the safe place, right? The, yeah. the tr- trust. Of, Trust space, you know. So, uh, so that to answer your question, yeah, it was always easier with people that were more distant from me. Good I think question. it. I mean, I think a lot of that comes down to the just. I think innate the innate fear that people have that they're not going to receive unconditional love. That if you revealed that part and that was a, vulner, a, a vulnerability with you, that if you said it to somebody you had to live with every day or see every day, that that might strip that I, I don't know that but well pe- I feel like in 2015 when he told me that was the start for me as a healer to really study and I read probably five books right off the bat you know when the man you love has been abused and how to deal with that because it it, it kind of sh- sheds some light on you know certain behaviors or why like when he said that he loved me for the first time after a year, he didn't call me for like five days after. You know, it's just like, you can just feel how anxiety ridden he was. Just, just sharing a little bit, like why is it so hard to say I love you? Yeah. <laughs> or, um, or um, so I started reading a lot of books and I end up actually writing a book on belief work because I didn't know how, I, I, the subconscious mind holds all this stuff, meaning that whatever happens to you on the subconscious mind the subconscious is always there recording everything that's ever happened to us and the subconscious mind if you have a wrestling match between your subconscious and your conscious mind the subconscious will always win and so if you have a lot of beliefs like just whatever from childhood it's not safe for me to trust or I'm in love with you know different things and your perception becomes skewed that changes a lot of your you know relationship stuff and so we're very opposite and how we grew up and you know I had a very very loving childhood I would say my dad was my best friend and you know very supportive almost idyllic mm-hmm. and then when he would tell me about his parents and growing up and how he you know anyway when he finally told me about the childhood abuse it was like oh that makes a lot of sense but he wasn't really um, able to be open with it and still focus mainly on his health and trying to sleep better and eat better and trying to get his energy up for years and years like six years straight and um i was gonna say when he finally um yeah he still wasn't able to accept accept it i don't feel like until probably this last probably year and a half ago i'll ask you both the same question um Mm -hmm. I have a, a bias and a thought on it because mm-hmm. I have this opinion of you, Heidi. Um, but I'll ask you first: like, do you feel like you kind of helped him or saved him, or you know? Mm-hmm. And, and then to you, it would be you know, do 
you feel like being with her allowed you to explore these as options? Well, that I help him. Well, he would definitely be. So I see hundreds and hundreds of clients. I have fifteen. Like I don't know. On my list, it says I have over a thousand clients. And so I would always tell people he was my most challenging one, and it's the person that I love the most. And I thought, wow, this is so ironic. Some days it would be really hard because sometimes I felt like maybe he there was some energy taking up a lot of space, and and I think it was a lot of a lot of that like closet that didn't want to be cleaned out, right? And so sometimes yeah. I can feel that maybe the emotionally not being available, but he would try, I guess. And would he have gotten there without you? I don't. I don't know. I. I. I believe. I prayed. I was about a year and a half ago, and I prayed like crying, praying, and I was like, I just want. Like, I was even swearing in my prayers. Like I just want a fucking miracle because this is so hard. Yeah. And at that time, the recording of Leaving Neverland came. I mean, they started like working on that, and mm -hmm. I think, and I didn't know that at the time. I just remember having a visual of like hundreds of. Like angels, I just saw them. Yeah. And then I remember writing for three days, like all these, to tap into his inner child belief, like because his inner child didn't even know he was abused, and I would. <laughs> and it was really hard to to, I don't know, feel all of that. Yeah. Because he didn't feel it, and I had to feel everything. But I knew it was gonna be like a really long journey, and I didn't know if I can, like, I can do it. At one point. <laughs> I think also what might be worth mentioning is similar, uh, not the same, but similar background. Uh, I don't know that we ever really arrive. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I don't know that there's ever that final solution where we're just fixed, right? But we become functional and we work through our problems and uh, I know for you, for you baby I've told you this a thousand times like you saved my life you know uh, am, am I, really <laughs> I, I I disagree you know that um, I think it's it's a it, in a partnership it's a team effort yeah. it's it's just you know understanding that we are human beings we've had our histories we carry a lot of weight in different ways and if you don't just look at your own story and you kind of <laughs> draw somebody in and say I'll, 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 I'll carry this with you yeah. you know um, if you're willing like and one thing I noticed with you is that you wanted to like I saw that you wanted to so it mm -hmm. nobody saves them nobody saves you it's you I, you decide. You you decide. I, I agree with Heidi because yeah. like no one wanted to become better more than David. David works, scrutinizes his diet, scrutinizes his sleep. That's why he has all his gadgets to kind of keep him <laughs> together. <laughs> Hundreds of gadgets and all these things and journaling and spent thousands of dollars on this healing therapy and this healing therapy. And I'm like, but he... But sometimes I'd be like, I think you're kind of focusing kind of on the wrong thing. But it was like he tried to circle and circle. It's like he's working on this outer circle. Let's let's get coaching and let's do this Ayurvedic treatment and this. But then it finally you get to the end and you can't deny that you know you can't deny your childhood. But it's it's not that 
I think all abuses, and, and I actually have, you know, I was in an abusive relationship too, but I was an adult. I was, a, I came from a loving childhood. I could see that was abusive, and I left. Right, right? here, you're a child for ten years, and, you, and you're groomed, and 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 you don't even know it. Like that's like there's a lot of shame and guilt. There's well, and it's an imprinting time in your life. Imprinting, a, yeah, that's, right. that gets pretty started in. Uh, I want to circle back to my original question to you, but on that topic, I know for me, um, as I reflect back, I think a lot of my macho stoicism, tattoo gun tote must make. You know, like a lot of that comes from the, you know, well, my father and my grandfather, but also, if anybody knew that I was sexually abused as a kid. Like, they would think I was lesser of a man. So, like, that was why I projected so much testosterone-driven behavior. Like, I don't want anybody to ever question me as a soft individual. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and I'll fight you if you think that. Dave, you could probably test that in our childhood, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you, I was you, you beat up every other one of my friends. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, I never somehow dodged that bullet. Yeah, yeah, yeah I don't know how. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So to circle back to you and that same question, <laughs> you can laugh, man. <laughs> so I, I don't want to make the microphone explode with my <laughs> boisterous, you know, <laughs> laughter. Uh, but circling back to you, I'll ask you the same question. Like, do you think that you would have had the spiritual growth or the like? Let's not say you're enlightened, but you know the the growth. Yeah, I'm not flying on the clouds yet. Yeah, <laughs> but you think yeah. you'd be where you are without mainly yourself? Yeah, that that's. I would struggle to um, answer that cleanly, but but you know, in terms of Maylene's support, unequivocally, like that, she, her support has been there and has helped to um, you know shepherd along the healing process. Um, I think that the only reason I struggle a little bit with answering this is because I I think that there's a level of sort of spirituality that comes to play here that. Mm-hmm runs counter to how we were both raised and that might be like a separate podcast and we have both sort of landed in a similar space you know from like a spiritual and sort of healing modality standpoint and so that's actually really really fascinating of all the intersections that seem so serendipitous that we've talked about i think that is actually the one that seems almost infinite infinitely impossible right you just in that you have the same faith Ex- similarly right yeah, yeah ex- exactly yeah like the sort of the when it comes to how the metaphysics of healing occur like we both see pretty much eye to eye like anything that mm-hmm. she would say on that topic I would I would start nodding you know right away right and that, that to me is actually how did we both end up in that same space and so I don't even necessarily agree with all her um, just the, the, the tactical like physical healing recommendations right oh get this or that supplement I'm just like I'm inundated with supplements stop <laughs> you know what I mean like I'm good you know but from just you know more plants like, you'll get it all right yeah I'll get it I like, just shotgun it right you know? so but anything she would say from sort of an energy healing perspective I would I would say yeah that's uh, you know that's dead on that's helpful for me you know so um, so that I would say that her being you know, an energy healer and spiritual healer has absolutely been helpful because I think if she was, and I'm treading lightly here, you know, if she was say like a fundamentalist of any of the, you know, any particular religion, I think that I wouldn't have felt as safe, right? You know, to, to go through the healing process that I have gone through, right? Because I would have 
been for fear of reprisal or being judged right with how I've gone through about the healing but I'm skipping past some details here purposefully because yeah. it's not appropriate but but that being said like her openness and ability to kind of share how I feel is the right healing modality for me um, and also just given her particular profession has helped I think advance the evolutionary healing process let's um I don't know if that was like too much or if that, that was, was just like maybe old head explode, you know? Oh, like, oh, that's <laughs> yeah. 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 I that. No, that made perfect sense. Yeah. Um, so let's go back to us for a little while. Um, tell us, nobody's heard any of your stories, so share a little bit about you. Um, you mean just my background or our background? Like in your, you, me. Okay. Well, I want um, everybody to know what a great person you are. Yes, so I'm a good person. You are. Um, <laughs> I, you know, um, I grew up in the 70s and 80s and moved around a lot and had, I would say, a relatively typical childhood, although, you know, my, fam I wouldn't say my that. family was special. Nah, I mean, my, my parents were, you know, I didn't start off in the very classic, like my parents were together and you know, they chose yeah. to be together. Yeah. So, um, but I had, I had a strong family and I, you know, had a little bit of hardship with my mom mm -hmm. growing up, which impacted me a lot. Uh, and I think, that. well, my mom had some, uh, I think some, some issues with depression and had some, harbored some difficulty in her childhood, which she kind of carried over to me if I could simplify it she was hard on me actually both my parents were hard on me but I look at my dad being hard on me in the typical sense like I want you to succeed I think my mom it was purpose driven yeah with my mom it was more like I had a rough life and you know I'm gonna transfer that and maybe blame you for it so my life was driven by I'm going to prove that I'm, I'm, I should be here and then I'm going to be a successful person. So I worked really, really hard in school. Um, very, very academic, kind of nerdy and weighed you know, about 101 pounds in college because all you did was study and well, and that was purposeful. I had some eating disorder issues. I had just, you know, it was all about the perfectionism. Yeah. I was like, I have to, I have to be perfect. And that's pretty in, destructive. In eating disorder, we're talking about anorexia. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't hardcore, like I had to go in a hospital, but um, I was pretty abusive to my body. Yeah. Um, but I was fortunate enough that I got into veterinary school. That was my <clears> goal. <throat> that was my goal from the time I was four years old. And that was like, execute mission, I'm gonna do it. And I got in and I, you know, worked really hard. I, uh, I got married um, to my college boyfriend. That was, you know, and went through the expected, you know, this is how you're supposed to do things. And so um, started my life, but I always kind of harbored, a, I'm not, there's something wrong with me kind of attitude throughout the early parts of my life. So um, bringing it into you, by the time it, I met wait, wait, you, well. Explore on that. So what do you mean there's something wrong with you? Well. I was I was hiding depression. You were unhappy. Yeah, I was hiding depression from from the time I was a teenager up to my adult, you know, through my adult adulthood, you know. So that was kind of festering 
all throughout this, I'm, I'm a doctor, I'm a, I'm a wife, I'm a, I'm a mother of three kids, you know. Um, there was always that underlying tone of this, nope, you're not enough. You're, 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 what you're doing is just not enough. I was going to say, like, there's always been some expectation of you. Yeah. Right? Like, you will get this grade. You will surrender your paycheck to me. Yeah. Right? You, you know, will do the cooking and the cleaning. And, like, this is, this is the box that you fit in. And if you color outside of those lines, right? Like, I don't want to speak for you. I'm sorry, but we've had thousands of conversations about this so I'm just trying to help you draw it out like if you color outside of that line then you're not playing by the rules right and would you yeah, say but that's a lot what, of that's my doing as well like yeah, that's you, I, treat, you teach people how to treat you yeah right? exactly yeah. that was I, I, I taught everybody how to treat me and I never I never kind of admitted to my issue and I was like nope I'm better than this so um, it ended up so how this you know relates to our relationship was by the time I met you I was kind of at a, a tipping point in my life where this is 2011 yeah 12, somewhere 2011 in, there. I, in 2008 I started to really so I I had to go into therapy for eating disorder which returned again again yeah and um, was really alone on this so you know again my immediate family was kind of like hey you got problems but you got to figure them out on your own so um, I went into therapy and uh, my therapist was like you know you're 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 kind of just waiting for somebody to fix you at, you know you're waiting for the external fix it's not gonna happen go and do something that you're gonna be that's gonna fulfill you stop you know stop waiting for somebody else so I started running to kind of just give myself a, a hobby and then very surprisingly I loved it and started showing up to races getting medals and it was like my drug at that point it was like oh I'm good at this originally this is... it was tutus and yeah I started doing it for fun it was like okay Chocolate we're gonna show up and, and it's all about the medal <laughs> yeah. and then the next thing I know I'm like doing pretty well and so I was excited because it was like, okay, here's my next thing that I'm going to show that I'm, I'm really good at. Worthy. Worthy. And um, I think actually by the time I met you, I was in full throttle. Like, let me show everybody how good I am mm -hmm. again. Like it was, so I kind of went away from, it just became like something I could do for myself to now I'm kind of maniac about it. Yeah. And, um, but I, through all this time, I didn't really have any real decent friendships. I wasn't talking to anybody really about my life or whatever. And well, nobody was asking. No. Well, and I wasn't <laughs> right. seeking. I was just, you know, keeping it in. So when I met you, um, so the funny part is, when I met you, you had. Just, you described yourself as macho. Eh, eh, eh. Well, that's exactly <laughs> what I saw. I, when I first met you, I was like, oh, yeah, no. This <laughs> ain't gonna work. Yeah. Well, I, I, I wasn't even, when we met, we were both, we were both married um, to other people yeah. at the time, and we met in a, a we cycling group. We were both in group. failing marriages. Yeah, we yeah. were in a cycling group, um, and we just happened to, to, well, first time I met you, you were, 
you kind of dismiss me. I know you don't remember this, but you did. You're like, yeah, 40-something woman, whatever. Get out of my face. Get out of my face. Because I remember riding my bike up alongside him. I'm like, hey, I, I heard you, you're into triathlon too. So am I. And you're like, yeah, great. And he like pedals fast. <laughs> I was like, oh shoot! The one time he ended up yeah, talking lady, to me. I'm trying to get a workout in here. Yeah. Right. One time he talked to me was we had both gone and done marathons separately. I had gone and done Richmond. He had gone and done what? Oh, the uh, Marine Corps marathon. marathon. Yeah. So we both did marathons it was one weekend. Marine Corps marathon, and there was a hurricane, uh, Sandy. Yeah. So the winds were like atrocious. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. So we came back to meet to do another cycling uh, training, and our friend Ted went up to Jeff and said, "Hey, Jeff, did you hear about Heidi? She did a marathon too. She beat your time." Yeah. And then all of a sudden, he starts talking to me. <laughs> all of a sudden, he's like, "Hey, how are you? Yo, you run too? Are you in a triathlon? Like, be totally dismissed before." But that was all right. So we decided to start doing some runs after our um, bike rides. And I, 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 that was the moment where I was like, I completely misjudged this person. We had great conversations on our runs. Like I hadn't talked to anybody like that in a while. So your big, um, what your big irony is, is that you kind of come off as like, I'm this, but you can have a great conversation. He was very vulnerable. He told me, a lot of things and we ended up being a, a, a we had good therapy sessions good um and he ended up just really becoming my best friend i really just looked forward to getting together with him again because that was that one i was like oh, I, I think we kind of get each other like we're so different we come from different places but it's like he he kind of understands my mentality and we were both kind of in that sort of i think we were kind of also in an unhealthy phase I mean, aside from our relationship, but we were both like, let's prove to everybody, you know, we oh, can, definitely. I, you know, do these like physical feats mm, and whatever. I so we is a little pathologic, I think. Yeah, um, I, I over-identified with being the Ironman triathlete and being the, you know, one percenter in the Navy, right? Like I'm at this elite level of, you know, commission, like coming in anyway. Yeah, over-identification yeah. is what I would call it. And we were both, I think, at that time, sort of high on that drug of it. Like, Definitely. we're getting better, let's do this. And, and then it was great to be together and, and have that friendship. But it was, a, it was the, for me, um, definitely we developed a good friendship and a good way to, to converse. And I just didn't have that in my life. I didn't have anybody that I could just unload on and say, yeah, this is what's going on with me. And... Um, I kind of opened myself up to you, and that's I think how we we connected. And then so we did connect, mm -hmm. um, and built a relationship. Uh, and then obviously anybody that wants to hear more about my story, I kind of glossed over it in the My Story podcast, which is the very first episode. But uh, you know, I had some I got in trouble in the Navy, mm -hmm. uh, and I was going through a divorce. I was going to court for a DUI, I was going to a Navy court to see if I was going to get kicked out of the Navy. I was getting detached for cause, which basically meant I was getting fired from my ship, my leadership position. Custody, uh, I was like $40,000 in debt. Uh, 
And then I started thinking, like, this is when all this other stuff starts, starts popping up. Like, as I'm in this, like, suicidal ideations, which I probably hadn't shared with you in, in, since, like, the last six months, maybe I kind of came clean with that. But as all of this was weighing on me all at one time, I felt like I was in a pressure cooker. And that's why I say you saved my life, because if it hadn't been for you, I don't, I don't know that I would be here right now, honestly. Like, straight up. Well, but, or you can alternatively say that you saved yourself by saying, I don't, I don't truly believe that this is the way out. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, again. Describe, I guess where I was going to go, though, is uh, describe, because I could sit here and just tell everybody from my perspective, and I have many opportunities to do that later in other conversations and other podcasts that I'll sprinkle in that story. Um, but describe from your perspective, because that's what's really interesting. I think is from your perspective watching me go through that struggle mm-hmm. how did you deal with it how did you feel like I was handling it and what did you do to help and, and how you know how did all that frame up in your mind well <clears throat> I'm gonna just say that it wasn't I did not do it easily yeah. at all like you know wasn't easy and you you know that there we had moments where I was like this isn't gonna work out like well we weren't married we weren't even engaged well yeah and but I also was going through to you you know so we all Mm -hmm. have our things it's Mm -hmm. not like well I was just in the periphery while you were going through horrible things yeah we we all have our own lives going mm-hmm. on yep. as well and I was also going through a divorce and a com- I was married for 20 years yep. you know mm-hmm. I, I I I met my previous husband when I was 19 years old he's pretty you know I, that was the life I had known forever and you know I was giving that up to because I knew it wasn't right for me it should be said too Greg is a good dude of course, he's yeah, a wonderful human being, and um, I don't want anybody to think that we're sitting here bashing our exes. No, right? yeah. no, no, no. He's he was good, but this is like we were talking about. We were talking about relationships last night, and you know, um, I I think that a, re, a good relationship, whether you're married, whether you're just you, you're a partner, or even just best friends, it's that. It's this whole, you know, period where you're going, that other person is going through maybe the hardest or darkest parts of their lives, lives, and what that other person, how that other person can just be supportive. If sometimes it's too much, like, I don't know, I always saw in you that, like, I, I would, the reason why when you said, oh, I actually felt like, you know, potentially suicidal I was act, I was shocked because I never saw that really in you I was like you're never that would never be on your radar you are a survivor you you are always going to have the potential to to get out of any hole that's work, who I saw work ethic can be fooling I know that but that's but that's who I saw and that's what I still think I see that like yeah. I don't believe I believe that's your true self is not I'm going to give up I mean you can be pushed to the limit but that's not who you are. You, yeah. you know, you. I think you believe, you believe in yourself more than that. And I, that's something I love about you. I mean, you. They say you should never love somebody's potential. I think I read that somewhere that I was like, that's a bad thing to do is to love somebody's potential. Well, because it's that, not like you know, it's like gonna... I don't love you as you are, but I love your potential. Right. I'm gonna change you. 
you know, it's, but, and yeah. it's not that, but I do see, like, maybe it's the spark, or I see mm-hmm. that you're, I, I love your drive to evolve. Like, I, that's something I'm very, very attracted to. I think that's contagious. That's why I love this project. I love the fact that you, you know, want to improve. And not in the perfectionistic way, because this is like, this is, that's that trigger for me is like, must be perfect, must be perfect. I must, you know, that, not like that, but just like, in what ways can I just be a better person? And it's like taking the lessons behind you and, and, and being aware of them. Because I think some people just don't. They don't. They don't. That's something I wanted to, <clears throat> to ask. You know, I, and there's a lot to unpack in what you just got in the last 10 minutes or so. I mm-hmm. wanted to sort of maybe put on sort of Jeff's hat here, the, the hosting hat, and, and ask to Heidi. It's, y'all's situation is interesting because it's almost like two storms coming together at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and, 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 you know, not to belittle what Maylene was going through, but I mean, um, it was different in that sense, right? You know, I had my own storm going on and, you know, she was somewhat stable, relatively speaking, right? You know, and so um, what do you feel, like, you know, going all the way back to your younger years and going through um, the challenges you had and, what kind of skills and experience do you feel were brought to bear in terms of sort of helping and assisting and supporting Jeff, like when you guys came to that intersection? I think one quality that I would give myself, I am able to put somebody's somebody else's shoe on some, or I don't know how you want to phrase it, that's probably not the right word. I am able to get out of myself sometimes and just try to imagine what it would be like from their perspective. Like if I, ha- I, I have that ability, I think I develop that a lot with my job sometimes, or maybe it's innate. Mm-hmm. I feel like I, you're I the, don't. You're the most compassionate person I've ever met. I wouldn't say that I'm the most compassionate. I get pretty compassion fatigued with my job. Mm-hmm. I People get, they annoy me, they annoy me. But when but I get- you feel su- bad about I it. I do. Yeah. I get, when I get super annoyed, or I'm like, oh, you, how can you be so dumb? Or how can you, you know, be such a jerk? Or I guess I, I do try to pause and go, well, I'm not in their body. I'm not in their mind. I'm not in their body. There's a reason why they behave this way. Why don't I try to? Why don't I try to understand them? Yeah. And under, like maybe try to feel where they're coming from. And I just think that's so important because otherwise, like we're all just standing outside of each other and we just, you know, we live in our own little bubbles and we can't ever connect or relate like, um, or forgive. You can't forgive somebody if they're, you know, if you're just basing everything on like what their behavior, you're not your behavior, you know, it's, it. so I, I would say that's the one thing that mm-hmm. allowed me to, um, get past a lot of things is like, I, okay. Yeah. I mean, and he's good at, He's been a lot more open and a lot, a lot more vulnerable over our relationship time. So I think he's allowed maybe a little bit more of the cracks to open up yeah. so that maybe he can do a little bit of that too. So that's really interesting. So Jeff, the way I kind of see this is Jeff was a, you know, very much a benef- beneficiary, right? Of a lot of the hard work that you put in, right? And that's and how I see it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And vice versa. Of course, I'm right? No, I think I'm yeah. the lucky one. Yeah. And no, so. I, no, I, I, well, no, I, I think 
we both have benefited from each other immensely. Like I told you, I didn't have a friend. I honestly couldn't say that I had a friend, a friend yeah. like a true friend. You know, I didn't have it with my parents. My siblings and I are, you know, dissociated. I couldn't really trust a lot of girlfriends because I was constantly comparing myself to them, which is a and horrible disease, judgmental. by the way. Yeah. Yeah, and so it was like, no, my husband, my ex-husband, um, wonderful, wonderful man, but he didn't. If he saw me in distress, he ran away. Like he was like, oh, like I'm not. Like let's not talk about. It. Let's not talk about it because talking about it just makes it real. Why don't you just go and fi- fi- figure it out for yourself, and you let me know when you're when you're right. And I just really didn't find. Uh, I just was. I felt like I was always in pre- pretend mode. Okay, here's the okay, like the little garden. Yeah, or that Weird. movie with the Steppenford Wives or whatever. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Stepford like, Wives. Stepford Wives. Yeah. Just like, I, that's what Robotic, I think, honestly, yeah. he really just wanted. He was like, hey, just do your thing and let's just get on with it. And um, so, he, so he gave me that relationship with somebody that I needed to connect. Whether that was, like, even before we, we were romantically involved or whether we, before, you know, we got married, he was that friend for me. So he gave me that. That was a huge gift mm-hmm. that I didn't have. Yeah, I, I mean, you're being, you know, pretty humble, you know, here, modest. I think that your skills of empathy and connection and, and having that sort of like mindful moment before having a knee-jerk reaction, putting yourself in someone else's shoes, I mean, that takes decades to build right. out. I mean, that is absolutely crucial. If, if you could just hit a button and disperse that ability and skill to everybody in a relationship. Or there would be no war. There would be, yeah, yeah, exactly. There, there would be, be, no there'll be peace on earth, right? You know, like, that is how 100%. big that is, you know? So, I mean, let's not understate that. Well, you know, I did, I do love that ideology in the Buddhist teachings mm-hmm. is that that's, I think that's what they're saying in, in a lot of Buddhist philosophy yeah, is well try to, suffering is, self-imposed a lot of times you create your i always tell jeff this because sometimes we try to compare like okay because this person suffered through war and you know lost both their legs and you know so they they're entitled to be more depressed than the person over here who has everything that was ever you know what i mean i I will share that you taught me that yeah uh, because uh not to interrupt but I'm going to interrupt. Uh, I would always, I've told this story before, I don't think on the podcast, but like there was one exercise where, well, it wasn't exercise, it was actual mission. We were down in uh, Columbia and there were small boats that we would stay up all night and do intel on and then helicopters would fly over the boats and scare them and basically we would intersect them and then like board them, uh, oppose boarding, right? But these guys were just... They weren't tactically trained or anything. So anyway, it was very easy capture, but still inherently risky, right? Plus the evolution itself was inherently risky in that, like, it didn't matter what the sea state was, and uh, I'm over, sorry, dangerous evolution. But to me, it was like, this is what we do. Like, get in the boat, sling your gun, go over there, get that cocaine, bring it back here, and I put it on the ship, and that's like, you know, there was no... And so, like, one of these evolutions, a kid came back, and he was like, I'm traumatized. Like, I can't do this. And I was like, you're a pussy. You know, like, it wasn't even that scary, right? Like, it wasn't even that big a deal. Like, these guys are peasants, 
you know, just smuggling cocaine across the border. Like, it's not like we're in actual opposed warfare, right? Uh, it's a long story to get to the point. I did not value his his trauma. And really, he wasn't as scared with the boarding or the opposed boarding or whatever that could have been. He was scared with, like, the height of the the boat with the crane and how the ship was rocking and honestly we were outside of the parameters of uh, what we call operational risk management right we were outside of the parameters but in real-time scenario you just you have to make a judgment call and you you have mitigating factors that you implement and that mitigating factor was my judgment <laughs> my safety right like I was like okay like I deem this necessary which is a hard place to put a guy like me in right like 33 year old guy you know, like I'm all of a sudden, all of that to say, I didn't value his trauma, you know? And at the time I was like, get off my boat deck, like go away. Like, I don't even want to hear that. Right. And I think he ended up, I won't share his name. Starting his own podcast and talking about Yeah, right. I think he ended up getting retired though. And he got yeah. some PTSD yeah. disability though. And at the time, originally I was like, that's not valuable. So all that to say, like you taught me that, you know, it is valuable when somebody has like, because what could be, you know, if the vacuum cleaner breaks and like that's your way to clean the house and that's your way to like, that could be very important to you. Like to me, I'll just get another vacuum cleaner, you know, but you have to value everybody's trauma or whatever that issue is, you know, because it affects everybody differently, right? Like, and it may not, you may not even know that it's affecting you at the time. Like it may take 10, 12, 20, for me, 30 years to get to a point where it's festered up to where I can't take it anymore and I have to deal with it, right? But you should never undervalue anybody's trauma is what I'm saying. You talk or judge people's traumas because they yeah. they they create their own experience, I think. Um, and they create their own suffering. And some people can suffer severely with what you don't think is... And I this is the case with my mom. Like I'm like, okay, so you had some, some difficulty with your stepmom and you you know your mom left and to me it's like but and for years that's what I said to myself I was like that's not worth you falling apart and being depressed for years and not having a good relationship with your kids and not ever speaking to your grandchildren because you're depressed over that like you're yeah. what happened back then like why aren't you why can't you and honestly it, you know it doesn't help me to not I, I'm not inside her like brain and so I have I I've tried and maybe that was like the biggest example in my life to try to teach me is that we experience what we experience and we just you know we all have to go about it probably the same way I'd be remiss to not mention even on the first podcast we did Jeff you and I that um, the body keeps the score is, is a book that yeah just nails us right on that. the head that's right yeah by Bessel uh, van der Kolk and that was one of the big takeaways is there, there's no you know cookie cutter definition of trauma where okay if you go through this experience you are now traumatized and you're you know exhibiting the symptoms of such you know and, and everyone processes traumatic experiences in a different way you know so Jeff you're touching on okay you know like if I'm vacuum breaks you know that's traumatic to me and um, that may be hard for people to understand, you know, and some people will get shot at, you know, and, and maybe lose their limbs and, and are just fine, just shrug it off and, you yeah. know, move on. And they're still happy, not happier, you know. After. So everyone, 
processes it differently, you know? And so um, I talked a little bit about it in, you know, my story with serving on the submarine, you know, it was, for me, it was almost like an accumulation of, of sort of micro traumatic events, right? Mm-hmm. That really impacted me, you know? And so I just processed it different than other people, you know? And so um, that book, I think is, you know, for anyone who's sort of wanting to understand trauma, that is the seminal book on trauma research. I think von der Kolk is so far ahead of anyone else's understanding of trauma and specific developmental trauma, like, like how trauma impacts kids before their brains fully developed. It's absolutely fantastic. I mean, it's, it's a pretty heavy handed read, but it's worth it. Uh, especially mm-hmm. if you're, I wouldn't describe it that way. Well, I mean, it's yeah. it's, it's maybe not, it's up my alley not, though. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're not gonna finish it in 30 <laughs> minutes sipping a mai tai. You know, I mean, it's, no, it's gonna yeah. take a bit, right? And so, but when I read that book, and you know, not to beat a dead horse, because I mentioned this before on the first podcast, but it re- when I read it, it was like, oh my god, this is the first time someone else I felt has understood like what I'm going through, and so you know, he ends the book. Sort of saying like we're slowly becoming more of a trauma understanding, trauma centric society because I, I do feel like the impacts of trauma are just now being understood. I mean, just just think, just a couple of decades ago, you know, people would come back from war. I mean, maybe early in the 20th century, we just call it shell shock. Yeah, you know, because yeah, they'll get over it. He's just, he's just shell shocked. You know, they'll he'll just battle through. And be did fine. you did you know that's how the GI Bill got started? Mm-hmm. So the GI Bill was implemented for soldiers. Uh, that were coming back from the war. Uh, it was basically the government's way of treating PTSD. Mm-hmm. So these guys were coming back shell-shocked, uh, and this was their way to reintroduce them into social environments mm-hmm. by giving them education uh, because they weren't ready to go work the coal mines or yeah. the car you know, factories or whatever their job was that was making America great <laughs> originally, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, so the GI Bill is their way of indoctrinating them or, or reintroducing them back to culture because uh, we just didn't deal with problems back then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and just shortly there Instead of like, mm-hmm. here's your therapy session, here's your, you know, here's your service dog or whatever that is, it was like, go to school. That's a soft landing yeah. for you back into the yeah. workforce. And, like, yeah, it's, 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 and it's politically, it's more palatable, right? You yeah, know, it's an easy... Like, yeah, just throw some... Throw a stamp on Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we did our, our job, right? Yeah. You know, so, and just until a couple of decades ago was the diagnosis of PTSD enshrined in you know the medical <coughs> manuals. You know, so mm-hmm. so we could just now start putting a lens on it, and start understanding how what it is, what's <coughs> the symptomology, and, and how to treat it. And it, that's just like yesterday. You know, in terms of how slowly medicine moves. You know, I mean, as as wondrous as modern medicine is. I mean, once you put a diagnosis on it, now you can start to kind of sort of understand and start to research it more. And we're just at, just on the cusp of that moment where we said, okay, well, this is what it is. Well, now they don't even call it PTSD mm-hmm. because it's not a disorder. Yeah, it's just PTS. It's just yeah. post. So yeah. also you could have post-traumatic, oh, I'm gonna mess this phrase up. You could have post-traumatic Traumatic growth. Stress. I think it's post-traumatic growth. So like, that's that's really what I'm trying to do is like, I don't want it to be a disorder, like, and I'm never gonna go like try to get the VA to give me money for PTSD for any trauma that I have. Uh, but I'm trying to take that weakness and make it my greatest strength, right? So my post-trauma <clears throat> is really gonna be post-traumatic growth. Like, all right, copyright. Right. We get. We get <laughs> Jeff Bayless said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go to GoDaddy and reserve that domain. <laughs> yeah. 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 
PTG. Yeah, so com, yeah. From <laughs> a kinesiology group. physical standpoint, I see a lot of people with head injuries or head concussions and mm. physical trauma, car accidents. I've worked on a lady that was hit by a helicopter, her arm was thrown off, or motorcyclists been so I see trauma as a form of energy, right? So energy is a fact of life is neither created or destroyed, it just transfers. But say someone gets physically traumatized, bam, right? You get you get hit. And I see that in terms of energy as an energy cyst. So this lady, she came to me, you know, she she fell flat on her face, you know, head trauma and she can't think, she can't think, so that energy is still there. And so the body will rotate around it and it's like chiropractors won't even see it. Like they, they try to adjust you all the time. And they, some chiropractors get a bad reputation because that energy cyst, that trauma is still in the body. And so you almost have to release it kind of on that mental emotional component too. So there's like a technique to clear it. But I noticed that people won't heal physically unless that physical trauma energy cyst is dispersed. So the same thing with when you're say emotionally or psychologically traumatized by someone lots you know someone's energy taking power over you you know it's a different type of trauma you don't see that energy cyst is 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 powerful as a physical like a car hitting you or a bicycle but it's still there it's it's just compartmentalized in someone's brain and subconscious and so you can only release it little bits at a time through talking clearing of yeah. emotion so it's a little it's 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 quiet it's silence and but it still has that same impact as you, you can't get your body to line up if you were you know physically traumatized i was in a i had lots of physical trauma growing up not emotional trauma but the physical trauma i, I guess i can relate in some ways that it took you know, a few years to line my body up being hit by a, a logging truck when I was six. Right. Yeah. And so years and years of trying to fix that physical trauma, I kind of correlated to like David trying to fix this psychological, you know, a psychological trauma over and over. You're just trying to fix it, but a few different ways when probably the best way is just kind of talking about it, seeing it and just kind of just releasing it, letting go, just know it does. This doesn't have power over me anymore. Yeah. You know, or I don't have to be afraid of getting in a car anymore and that I'm going to die. Because I used to have a lot of, I used, you know, I realized I was clearing a lot of, because I was in like seven, six, seven car accidents living in Montana. And so it's, you know, physical trauma has its, has its effect on the body too. Just, it's just different. I feel like, uh, for me personally, I don't want to speak for any of you guys, but uh, you've definitely seen, like, I slashed my arm open time at work I was doing like an inspection and it, was, it wasn't horrible but you know I needed stitches and I went and it was going to take like an hour in the waiting room because I wasn't a priority or whatever and like Heidi came home and stitched my arm up with no what's it called local anesthetic yeah so she just like you know my kids were here and they were like oh my god like that's <laughs> such a badass right like I just took it for like a champ you know mm -hmm. but I think for a lot of us uh for me, uh, if I break a leg, I'm like, okay, my leg's broken. I can snap that thing back. And but we probably discredit when we have broken emotional, you know, connection. Like we don't value them the same, mm -mm. right? They're not on the same. I'm guilty of this too. Like I'll break an arm or a rib or whatever. I'll work it out. 
I'll get a cast. I've, I've broken this hand three times, this hand twice. Being up my friends. Yeah. yeah <laughs> <up my> friends. <laughs> Actually, all five. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, it's a boxer's fracture, yeah. Uh -huh. These are really, like, you can see my yeah. bone sticks out there. Yeah. But, like, every time I broke my hand, I was like, yep, that's broken. Okay. Six weeks in a cast, you know, but never once did I value, like, hey, like, I was sexually abused as a kid. Like, hey, I had these issues with uh, childhood. Like, you know, I have some issues. Uh, you know, my mom, too. We, we've talked about it. Um, and so never once did I consider that the same as, like, a broken bone, right? Like, I, it's, it's a good reference that you make because I, I never put them in the same category or even dealt with them as, like, worth dealing with like a problem worth actually dealing with I think the vast majority of people don't think of it the same way and that's why mental health is such a big it's issue. moving in the right direction yeah there's there's trauma to the when physical yeah. there's yeah. physical trauma there's mental trauma there's emotional trauma and to me there's also spiritual trauma and sexual childhood abuse is also spiritual trauma because a child doesn't know how to protect themselves you are blasting that child wide open and leaving him open to just all kinds of, to me, spiritual attack and yeah. negative energy. And to me, that's the worst type of abuse. And to, to overcome that is, 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 is incredible. And I think it's great that you guys have definitely overcome and in the process of evolving through that. I was going to say process. Would you say you've overcome it, Dave? Oh, there's, Lord. There's layers, <laughs> I know. But, I mean, yeah. to, to, to at least be aware of it is 100%. To be aware of your smoking addiction, to be aware of alcohol abuse you know addiction like just to be aware of it like you are so much ahead of so many you know people who who just want to throw it and just like this is not an issue for me i'm just gonna run and keep running marathons and keep running this without yeah. looking at that but yeah. to me sexual sexual abuse is inner abuse the second time around because people whether it's neglect you know you heidi growing up in your family there was neglect from your mother you were just like i'm not good enough i'm not loved so I'm going to prove to myself that I'm loved and I'm going to run these marathons and you the same way. Like my mom wasn't there for me either. So David was both of his family wasn't and from his perspective, wasn't there. So I'm going to, I'm going to be my own mother and father and I'm going to heal myself. And you boy, you all had to do that. Yeah. And so that's, and then, yeah, it's like you don't need to suffer anymore to be loved or worthy because you guys all are, you should pat Aww. yourself on the back <laughs> from all of that. That's awesome. I, you know, th that question, the reason I sort of reeled back a little bit, because there's so much sort of underpinning that question. So when you ask, like, do you feel like you've overcome? Every question has sort of built-in assumptions, and a lot of times they're subconscious, you know? So though even the word overcome, it's like something, oh, it's like something you beat, right? Yeah. Did you, did you Did you destroy it? You know, did you cross the finish line first, right? You know, and both... Well, all of us are competitive athletes, minus mainly. So, like, you know, like in, a, in an almost maniacal kind of way, you know. And so she's kind of the opposite, you know. So it balances the energy. But the, the that paradigm is almost, I would say, not even that applicable, like in this recovery process. And then process process with a capital P. That's right. You know, because it's not like you're trying to beat someone else or something else or whatever you want to call it. I think the win here, if we want to continue to use the competitive analogy, is entering into a process that is perpetual, right? Which is constantly moving to, you know, 
the, a state where you're growing beyond that particular the challenge. cliche saying it's the journey not, not the destination right like right. you're never gonna yeah. arrive and it's a never. process of conscious awareness at all times like that is being awake just aware that's one of the of best compliments i've ever gotten uh from uh my commodore said uh he's like we were having a midterm counseling it's not important but he was like jeff you're so self-aware I was like, that's probably the best compliment anybody's ever paid me. <laughs> I absolutely agree. Yeah. I think it all starts with awareness. So to yeah. Don Paul and Maylene's comment about awareness, I mean, that's something that's worth sort of stewing on for a bit, right? Because we can just say, oh, be more self-aware, right? And everyone's like, yeah, 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 and just moves on. But without self-awareness, like nothing starts. No healing starts. No right. growth mm-hmm. starts. You know, it just doesn't happen by, by happenstance. You know, it, it, for it to be intentional you have to be self-aware of what's happening, right? Whether it's inside of you or interpersonally or interrelationally. And how do you get there? I don't have a good answer to that, right? It's like, well, how, how do you just, can you hit a button, be more self-aware? Like, how do you get to that point, so, you know? And yeah, though pain is our first. Pain yeah. is, it makes us focus. You know, people who don't, I would say same girlfriends that don't like love themselves. They constantly look for another relationship to mm-hmm. make them feel loved, right? Where just, so just they're in pain, they're in emotional pain, or you're say you're eating tons and tons of, you know, ding dongs and different types of food. Like your body starts revolting because you're not aware of what you're eating and what you're putting in your body, and so pain is the first messenger with teeth telling you hey something's wrong and you look at it whether it's emotional pain or, or some sort of physical pain or things just not going right well you didn't pay your bills well then your, your electricity is going to turn off so that's you know just being aware of just your your body your environments um your emotions like um the people around you how is your you know family and friends reacting to you just like being aware of all these you know that that's that's to me the first sign um well how, how is your life you know, turning out a little bit um, because I feel like we create that as well. I don't know what I was trying yeah, to talk I think about. It's, with- you know, so Maylene, you talked a little bit about what you do and, you know, your, your client, you have thousands of clients all over the world, you know, in a three to six month waiting list. Uh, you know, bringing your experience to bear here, like, what would you recommend, you know, to someone that in terms of like self-awareness right like to your clients and you know with your skill set how do you help shepherd that process right to to help people to be more self-aware like what does that look like Um, i would say for each person it's a little bit different because everyone's on a different stage of their journey of healing so it's just so it really depends but i would i really like i like to meditate i think being aware of your emotions. I'm not yeah. trying to interrupt it. That was like meditating. Yeah, meditating. I was kind of teed it up like that. <laughs> I was starting yeah. meditating. Yeah. Or trying to. <laughs> meditation. That's difficult. Being in our bodies, being present, was hard for for me. And so I think meditation really changed my life. Just being aware of. I'm so sensitive. You know, different emotions, different feelings. You know, one pill I can notice that. I don't know. Just so yeah. Just meditation would be great. I think. Um, how to start that process I think being aware of your beliefs I think beliefs are huge it's kind of my number one thing like change your life change your beliefs so I end up writing a book on it because I think it it's that important I had a lot of say limiting beliefs say like on God and religion and so that's energy 
right? So it doesn't matter what you do in life, it's the energy you hold on it, whether it's men, women, God, the Bible. I had so much negative energy on just religion in general, and so I was like, I'm just going to do something I want, but I still wanted to connect to source or God. And so I feel like clearing your beliefs on triggering emotion you know triggering words and different things in the past that that have so much energetic weight on you is the person just what are the words that make you feel you know pain or weight or like oh I don't like that word and to look at that and to say and to meditate on it so I'm going to bring it back to meditation okay why don't I like the word the bible like why does that like just bother me or like why don't I like the word um what was the word there? Just, just different words. I, I don't, I've worked out a lot of my words <laughs> right now. Like even the word sex, I couldn't even say it because my parents were like, oh, can't kiss or you can't have sex until you're married, you know, this type of thing. So then I'd be like, there's so much energy and judgment on that. Or, um, yeah, that's I, I would think meditation. Sling. Yeah, no, thanks for the answer. I, 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 I'm a big fan of mindfulness meditation, so I didn't want to make it a, a commercial or anything. But, <laughs> you know, so... Um, that being said, you know, no one here is profiting really anything, you know, off this conversation. So, um, I did want to call out, I might, I might make 10 cents. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I did want to call out one exercise as you're talking mainly and I kind of go back to the Tony Robbins workshop. <clears throat> I want to unleash the power within. It's just, a, it was a couple days, you know, mainly actually I kind of drug her along to this thing and I think it was more <laughs> for me than for her. She's kind of just watching the, you know, all the shenanigans go down, but um, there was an exercise we did, and I just now thought of that. And it was this writing exercise in, in the workbook that we had was, it was very simple. It's, life is, and there's a, just a line after that. And you could fill in whatever it is. Like, whatever, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? You know, and you don't, you don't say it now. Well, right? Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. let's do it. Yeah, yeah. So, so, the, so first thing, the first thing that came to my mind when you said that was beautiful. Mm. I don't know why, but that was like... That popped in my head. Yeah, and, and I think when I had written it, I still have it somewhere at home. I, I think I just put life is suffering. You know, yeah. I, I, I think I put something well, that's to what, that effect. That's what at the, the Buddha would say. And this was right? almost a decade ago. Yeah, it was like 20, yeah. what, 12 or something? Yeah. I, my my re reaction would be life is a series of experiences that teach you your purpose. Oh. That's what I think it is. I actually had your yeah, first yeah, words, Heidi. I said, life is a string of experiences to help you find the love within yourself. Yeah. Wow. So that was Mari's you know, reply in what, 2013. So it was like almost the better part of a decade ago. You know, I'm almost kind of scared to say what I would think now, but I think life is, I mean, it's evolution. You know, and so hence the evolution. Yeah, hence the, yeah, 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 yeah. It's not, I, I, you know, even as I was saying it, I was like, oh well, of course it lines up with the pocket. But you know, that's that's exactly right. Yeah, but but I mean, that's just that's mm -hmm. just what came out, right? You know, from I wasn't thinking about it. You know, well, John C. Maxwell talks about, and I, you know, I, I share this with people I mentor. Like, you know, it's never a, it's never a failure if you learn from it, right? So like sometimes you. Sometimes you win, sometimes you learn, but you never lose. The only time you ever actually lose is if whatever that quote unquote at the time failure was is if you didn't learn from it. Like if you just kept going in that same trajectory, down that same rabbit hole, you know, then it's a failure. 
right? So well, it goes back to awareness. You weren't aware that that's it right. was. Yeah, it has an to be an evolution. And you're right. Yes, you didn't back think to, of it as an error, and you didn't think it was worth it to change it. Definitely, yeah. So there are a few things I do want to touch on. Um, we kind of covered some of these topics, but I, I think a few of them are worth exploring. Um, and I'll let each of you uh, give your thoughts on it. Uh, this one's huge for me, and it was a recent development that has helped me help others, because uh, service is a big part of my purpose, uh, and that has evolved and will evolve outside of the uniform into whatever that turns into be, but definitely service is important to me. And so um, I think in an effort of service, I've discovered the power of vulnerability uh, through, uh, we've talked about Brene Brown, uh, but so I would like for all of us to maybe just kind of give a short answer to what vulnerability means to you and how it's powerful or not, you know, or if, if you don't think it's valuable. Because uh, I, I hold it high up there on the things that have been able to help me heal, help others explore their own growth, uh, mentor, and just, I think, serve others. Hopefully, uh, that's the goal anyway. Uh, so what, what would you say, Manly, on power of vulnerability? Power what are your vulnerable. thoughts on the topic? I think... Well, coming from, like, say, Navy people, I think that for you, like, wanting to talk about, that would be probably the hardest thing to do. And so if it's the hardest thing, I think you also are, you want to get there at some point. I think it shows a lot of inner strength, but vulnerability is really, really hard. But it's hard for me, too, because, and especially sharing your, your, thoughts and feelings free from the feeling of being judged and just exposing yourself being exposed is probably one of my biggest fears so being vulnerable was one of my just as hardest things to do mm -hmm. but you can't be real with someone you can't be close to someone and you can't get to know someone without being vulnerable or showing you know what's on the other side of those walls so I think it's a very powerful thing. I feel like I have to, so when I work with clients, I would say I can be in a place that's very non-judgmental. People tell me their deepest, darkest secrets. I, I feel like I hold thousands of pounds of secrets for so many people, but <laughs> to me, it doesn't scare me. It's interesting that other people's stuff never scares me. It's just, it, but it is expressing it. It, does, it still scares me though. Yeah. What would you say, baby? Well, I, I think you, can, you, you literally cannot heal without being vulnerable. That's just, I just don't think that, and I think a lot of people don't get that because I think our gut instinct is to protect, protect, you know, whatever it is, whether it's, um, you know, something you're ashamed of. So, and we, I think every single person, I believe, every single person, again, no matter what your background is, no matter if you had a perfect childhood or you, whatever, you've got something, something inside that you are probably not, it's not easy to, to put out to the world because you're afraid of the, the consequences of it. But I think I was, you know, I'll reference Brene Brown. I think she was the one who made this analogy was, you, you know, like, what is it? Shame can't survive the light. Like if mm -hmm. you are willing to put it outside of yourself or, or I look at it like, there's you you can be like a pressure cooker 
if you just let the st stuff build inside you because you think you're protecting, eventually it's going to blow from within. And I think if you're willing to put it out there, number one, somebody out there is going to have had the same experience. Somebody's out, somebody out there is going to be like, I get you. I still accept you. I still love you. And that will allow you to, to, to get to that next level. So it's, it's key to healing, but I think everybody knows that's not how our, we instinctively work. We instinctively work with let's protect. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm too scared of what this will do to me, do to my life. Um, and you know, so it's counterintuitive, but it, I think it's, you have to, you have to. Yeah. What are your thoughts, Dave? Oh my lord, how do I follow all that? So yeah, when I think of the power of vulnerability, I think it's sort of this is strange, right? Because I'm looking, Jeff, looking you in the eye. You're this gun-toting Texas rays, you know, <laughs> like you know, meat-eating, you know, kind of, and 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 you're. you're, you're you're the poster child for machismo. I mean, you got your your you got you're all tatted up. You got the sleeves on. Got my little concealed carry. You got your, your I literally <laughs> just for the folks listening. You just put down a pistol. You know, like you know, like three feet away from me. And um, you, you know, and then you have myself, a multi-time gold medalist, jiu-jitsu champion, who's literally we're talking about. I'm sort of like looking forward to a fight. You know, I'm not yeah. I'm not fine going out to find one but you know if I had to protect someone I cannot wait you know to you know use jujitsu and I, I always I always know, say uh, not to interrupt but I always say like if somebody were ever to break in this house it'd probably be the worst mistake they ever made yeah yeah, yeah similarly exactly. like yeah. I don't want somebody to break in my house but if they did yeah it'd be the wrong house exactly yeah, absolutely so, so both of us are the, the, the poster children of, of machismo you know and sure so, and, and yet we both had these shameful experiences, you know, happen to us, and, and we could argue that it's, you know, the machismo is a result of, you know, having gone through that when we were right. children, you know, and so um, vulnerability is sort of to me and maybe to us, you know, I feel is running counter to everything that is in our DNA and how we developed ourselves, you know, mm -hmm. and so I think the the mistake would be to, you know, to clam up as you're saying, Heidi, and, and get to the end of our lives and never having really share our truth yeah and suppress it and suppress it exactly and and, and there's, there'd be all kinds of collateral damage that would happen from that right from you know probably likely abusive relationships to you know like you're saying suicidal ideation right and, and all kinds of you know collateral damage there and so um to just opportunity costs of of you know blossomed and flourishing relationships right that that wouldn't happen without being vulnerable you know, so you know, I guess that's the short answer. The power of vulnerability is human flourishing. Yeah. I mean, you know, and that's that's my banner cry for the you know second you know um, half of my life is, you know, how do I help to promote that? You know, using my experiences through developing out my tribe, through being vulnerable and open, and just creating my own methods of healing modalities, not for myself but also for others. How do I disperse that out? You know, I'm thinking about that a lot. I mean, I. Just bought ten acres of land, you know, so I could put you know some kind of place of healing together, you know, over the next couple of years and decades, you know. Yeah. So there's a lot there, but yeah, that's to me is the power of. And then as a sort of a cousin topic, I would say that um, I, I don't know like why I keep thinking about this, but going back to the machismo topic. Um, you actually touched on a little bit before in previous relationships how you were sort of expected to be that rock and you know you're 
the words that kept coming to my mind is you're you're basically like this this disposable resource, you know. Mm. So like you're this, you know, this you're you produce income, you're creating this house, you know, and um, and you're just basically kind of like this resource that gets tapped into. And I think that happens a lot when we put out this you know, this much easy mo type of vibe, you know, it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, this is, you know, some strong man that I can just sort of like use up, you know, and the reason I'm mentioning all this is because I just think that it's like the time is up for really, you know, for, for men in particular, right. That are like the strong men, you know, to, we don't always have to hold up that image, right? And Amen. The, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, like it's actually tearing us up. You that know, us protest too much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I was struggling to find the words there for a second because I've never actually said this before. Yeah. And I've swung so far the other way from being this anxiety riddled, you know, very, you know, living very small man to you know, going out and competing at, you know, the World Jiu-Jitsu Championship, right, and slaying other, like, you know, yeah. men in the battlefield, right, and other people cower in front of me, you know, and, and so I swung all the other way, like, yeah, I'm strong, I'm big, I'm bad, I'm, you know, taking life by the horns, and I've sort of just exhausted myself, you know, from that, I'm just like, I don't need to do that anymore, you know, right. I can be vulnerable, right, and there's so much power in that. Yeah. So yeah, I could talk about that for a while, but that's that's. Not that good. sounds similar to our experience when we kind of got hooked on triathlon. triathlon it was like, yeah. oh, that because you, I I relate to that. Like I want to prove to myself that I feel strong, but there's always okay. So you did that. When's the next? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't. It didn't finish it. It didn't like okay. So then there you wake up the next day and it's thirteen like, minutes after you cross the finish line, you're like. Back no, I better no, sign up again. Yeah. Well, no, I, yeah, yeah. I got to qualify for Boston. I got to do this. <laughs> yeah. I got to do this. It's, yeah. just, it's just another should, uh, thing. I'll give my thoughts on power of vulnerability, but I think if we're going to touch on that topic, like, and we talked about this before the podcast, like, I lost the the love for triathlon. I mean, I'm doing a half Ironman next weekend. Uh, it'll probably be my slowest half Ironman ever, uh, but I'm falling back in love with it with the sport because it's a hobby now and not an obsession right and that's that's the the boundary and that that it can go into balance too but you know that also goes into over identifying with that just change your you're a human being it. not a human doing right so if i don't place first in my age group at ironman world championship like I'm still jeff bayless like you're still gonna want to go have a beer with me i'm pretty sure like you know it's gonna be okay um my thoughts on the power of vulnerability would be um, whatever your deepest, darkest secret is, whatever the, the, the hardest thing you've had to endure, um, when you bring that out into light, what I have found in my experience is that, I've said this before, but whatever sword anybody could wield against you, whatever harm anybody could try to bring to you because of that experience, when you bring it out into light, you take that power away from them. It's actually the most powerful thing you can do like you know it, it's it's chess not checkers right so what can you buy oh I was sexually abused when I was a kid yeah cool I'm pretty open about it so what do you do like call me less of a man like okay I, I messed up five years ago I got a DUI and it, you know I lost my commission like people could talk in dark circles about it in my community or I could just bring it out and bring it into the light and then it becomes my greatest strength uh, so the power of vulnerability to me is that 
whatever that weakness is can become your greatest strength if you bring it out into the light and make it a lighthouse. And that would be my second part is that power of vulnerability gives you a platform or a, a space to be of service. And so if you are vulnerable, in my experience with my vulnerability, I've been able to help so many other people. Like I thought I was this great leader. Like I thought I had experienced so much in the military and just in my training and my, you know, what I've gone through. Like I was like, man, like anybody that ever asked me to be their mentor, like they got, they got lucky. Right. But what I found is that when I opened up vulnerably about everything, not just like this one time I, you know, did a good job at work and like how you can learn from that. Right. Once I opened up every, like every skeleton, my net, I'm casting a wider net of service and I'm being, it's, I'm, able to help so many more people because they know if they reach out to me and anybody listening I mean this from the bottom of my heart if you reach out to me there's not going to be any judgment there's going to be help like I'm going I'm to help you in some way like I may not be able to fix it for you but I, I will definitely do whatever I can because uh, that's important and that's, that's power of vulnerability uh, another question I wanted to touch on is um, a lot of people I think in relationships, and that's what we're talking about. Um, a lot of relationships thrive on this, uh, or don't fail to thrive on the expectation of perfection. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, the expectation of perfection. And, you know, like I always say, perfection can get in the way of progress, mm -hmm. right? Um, we kind of touched on it with your eating disorder stuff. Uh, but what are your thoughts on let's let's go the other way this time? Oh, yeah. Uh, so counterclockwise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so perfection. Uh, well, I'll start then since we'll go this way. So for me, uh, you know, trying to be perfect got me out of balance. Uh, the 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 stress of trying to I wouldn't go seek help. I wouldn't talk to anybody about my problems. I over-identified with all these things that I was supposed to do. Uh, a failed marriage was a big one for me and I know guys that are like I'm on my eighth wife like I don't care like it was a problem for me like I didn't want to fail in a marriage right and I was striving for that perfection but once I kind of understood that it was impossible to be perfect that's how our relationship I think is you know able to thrive is that this it's not gonna be perfect like marriages take work like there's ups and downs there's challenges you're never gonna be perfect um, and once I kind of understood that I didn't need to be perfect, man. Like I, I think the, the, the sum was greater. Like the gain was the net gain was 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 impacted, you know, positive. Uh, what would your thoughts be on that? Yeah, it's funny you bring this up. I, the myriad of topics we've we've talked about here in you know months past, um, that's been a huge banner cry of mine is progress over perfection. And, and but to be truthfully honest, I, I would use that in sales calls, you know, to basically, you know, I mean, in, a, in an honest, authentic way to say, hey, you know, this, this may not be the, the perfect, you know, solution for you. So I, I'm in software sales just for those listening, um, but this will be incrementally better than, you know, the status quo. And so as I would, would say that more and more, of course, I started thinking about, you know, my own life and, and how that applies. And so I do think that perfection in a lot of ways is, is 
just shy of a pathology, of, you know, in a lot of mm-hmm. because it almost like doesn't exist. You know, it's this. It's an unattainable. Goal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's important to have you know north star of sorts. You know, we've talked about that a lot, and but it shouldn't be perfection. You know, and so um, one of the leaders I I learned from in a previous job, one of our team mantras was better, better, never best. So it was a very high performance sales culture, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, I thought that was really, really great because you're constantly striving, but you never really arrive, you know? And so I think if you're okay with that sort of never arriving, but you're always in perpetual progress, then I think that's that's a really good place to be. So I agree. Chill. Yeah. Good answer. What do you say there? Well, obviously this has been a, a big issue for me personally. Of course, I... I was going to start off by saying perfection is truly unattainable. That that's just, but it's easy to say. I think a lot of people would say that. Okay, well, you you can't be perfect. We hear that, but but we exist in a culture that continually, maybe in a subconscious level, tells us that we need to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Whether that be you know just through our advertising and our marketing and just. You know, or even social media. I think social media is a huge culprit with infusing unrealistic portraits of people, mm-hmm. and it it sort of fosters this. Well, you know, Schmoes going off to the Bahamas, you know, every other month and has like a perfect family, and you know, and we lose sight of these are only the little snippets that we're allowed to see. But still, from a psychological standpoint, I think people get inundated with, you know, I need to have all the things, be, have the perfect body, be totally, you know, happy with myself. And, you know, so we, we say it, but we still get inundated with that pressure. Um, I think it's, it, it takes a self awareness (laughs) to, even if you have to go through, like for me, I had to go, I'm, I'm, I'm almost 50 years old. It's taken me that long to really sit there and go, well, maybe I can't be perfect. Maybe I should be okay with that. Mm-hmm. That's a long time to, re- to finally kind of go, maybe it's not going to be that way. And so, I don't know. Like, maybe that's the, the school of hard knocks. I don't know. But um, I think there are just a lot of pressures that we people have to fight off. And it, it's just a, it's, it's something you just have to learn and tell yourself. I have a little bit different take on perfection. Awesome. Just, yeah. Yeah. I, I feel, I mean, I grew up with a dad who actually thought my sister and I were perfect. And so it was more, so I, I went through some teenage stuff. Like I didn't want to disappoint him. I had some, you know, some stuff, you know, it was more like I didn't want to disappoint my dad. And I, I well, anyway, long story, but I, I feel that as humans we are imperfect but when we connect to our higher selves and the love that's i think connects the entire universe that is perfect to me like not conditional love i want to differentiate it's like that unconditional love that i feel like that's c- compassion and unity and i feel like we all have that within us and i believe that is perfect mm. and if we can recognize that love that's within all of us and to see people in the world in that compassion and non-judgmental attitude and we can see ourselves in that non-judgmental loving unconditional like eternally loved attitude I think 
we can see ourselves in perfection. Change the definition yeah. of perfection. Change it. Change, change the definition. End of podcast. Mainly just <laughs> drop the mic. Mainly just stage warm. right. Yeah. <laughs> Gold like, star. Um, yeah, no, I, I just, I just love, love, <laughs> and and I and I feel like you all striving for perfection is just striving to to be loved, and it's it's not the like. You're already perfect, is what you're saying. We're already perfect. Yeah. We yeah. just you just have to see that in yourselves, like. Yeah. And just, we, we're born in this human world, we're going to have, you know, issues with the, with our body. And, and whereas we all have different bodies, we all have different... Christians say, different uh, things. you know, you're created in God's image. Yeah, right? and I think it's it's just, I just... I God just, don't make no jump, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Another question uh, that I have queued up here is... Uh, I think a lot of times in relationships we have these so like in the military we we at least good leaders I think try to manage expectations right so if we have a large inspection coming up or a deployment or I would never say oh but we're gonna be home in six months like hey tell your spouses it may be seven months like it may be eight months like it depends there's going to be times where there's going to be no communication so let's manage expectations right and I think in relationships a lot of times once you through the nuance and through the you know each as you build right over the years these uh, well expectations right like what are your thoughts on like it's it's a constant thing for me to consider uh, to ensure that I don't have unrealistic expectations. Like, I, let, let's say I'll let you go first, but like, I don't know if this is good for you or bad for you. But I I don't uh, like that's why I try to be self sufficient. Like I cook for myself, I, I clean up after myself, I do my own laundry because I don't want there to ever be an expectation from my end that this is what you need to do uh, to make me happy. Like you shall. Like, I, I want the food prepared, like, you, know, you do all my grocery shopping, like, I'm independent, but in a way that probably has... It has its... Its drawbacks too, its drawbacks, right? Yeah, because sure. then mm -hmm. you can't... Well, and, you know, it, I think any extreme is not good. Like, that, you know, if you're, okay, well, I'm going to be so self-sufficient that she will not, you know, have the... And then you, then, then you're <laughs> kind of pushing me off in the corner and saying, okay, well... Because we still need each other. Yeah, or I st or you know, it. I don't know. I've already made, drawn this to your attention before too, but it's like maybe I might want to make something for you, or have you just say, "Hey, I appreciate you made it." Like I'm gonna take a bite out of it, like just yeah. because you you put some effort into it. I may not want to eat it, but maybe I want to take a bite. It's just those small expressions of, of I will try connection. But sometimes you take it to the next level, I which do. is your. That's how you're. But built. I'm trying to protect the expectation. I know, yeah. but like I said, you can do that too a little bit more extreme. I, I, I'm I a true believer in managing far. expectations. I think yeah. sometimes we're brought into this world being taught that these things need, you know, these expectations need to be met. And if we're not open-minded, we're going to get disappointed. What is the man expectation the car, will always lead to the disappointment. Wife does the laundry. Yeah. yeah. If you have expectation, it will always lead, leave you disappointed. Uh, what's that quote that's on your mirror right now? Expectations are... Um, oh gosh, I don't even know. It's Judgments. Sticky note. It will lead to it, resentment. That's right. 
expectations lead yeah, to resentment. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, it has. That's right. Uh-huh. Expectation uh-huh. does lead to resentment. Our resent is resentment in construction. That's what it is. Close enough. Expectation yeah, is like resentment that. in construction. Yeah, yeah. That's, about that's right. it. That's it. It's true. Mm-hmm. I think if you're like, it has to be. That's like not. You know that again. I bring back a Buddhist principle where um, an expectation is in your future, right? Mm-hmm. If it's an expectation, you're not living that at that mm-hmm. moment. You're not. And, no. You know. That's so huge. you people do this. They're like, I here. I live in my past. I keep going back to my past. I keep living there, or I live here because I'm not there yet, yeah. and so I'm not content here. I have the expectation of being here, and it's it, it creates. It creates um, suffering and struggle. What is your your answer, Maylee? Uh, so expectations. Well, we're we're born with so many expectations on us already from our society, from our parents, in one form of another. So, and they are all imprinted upon our subjected minds. Sub, yeah subconscious minds as children so even though we can try to say oh I don't have any expectations for this relationship or for myself or people we still do and we have to work that out so that's why I really like doing a lot of self-work and meditation and belief work and like figuring out those expectations so we don't feel hurt or disappointed but to know we still have some and we we won't know where they are until we live life and like oh my gosh I guess I had this expectation that I guess my husband should take care of me or that he should take out the trash and I just do the dishes or whatever those kind of even those little tiny expectations are and also knowing that we actually have the most expectations for ourselves but knowing that it's just it's a it's a ex- work in prog- progress like just awareness of ourselves and our emotions and our feelings each time that we get disappointed like well I expected you to sit down and watch tv with me you know and because you didn't do that like now I'm gonna cry and be upset because I expect, you know, but, you know, life happens and it's kind of just mitigating that process all the time to not be disappointed and to know that our partners or our relationships are trying to do, be the best that they can. It just, sometimes life kind of gets in the way and just to be aware and to put ourselves in their shoes so we can kind of talk about and work these expectations together. Awesome. I have a different angle on expectations and this goes to like the word labels keeps coming up in my mind, right? You know, how we label things, right? Defines the expectations, you know? So I've kind of beaten everyone around, like stop using these heavy handed words like God and love, right? You know, because of these huge labels that come with all these beliefs, expectations, and you know, it's, it's so loaded, you know? And so I just don't like labels. I hate labels. Like, you know, we, you just can't have good conversation, good dialogue, discourse, you know, if you're just shrinking everyone down to a label, you know. Label creating a label expectation. Creating, exactly, right? You know, so, you know, you're the husband, you do this. You're the wife, you do this, right? You know, I'm the father, you're the son. This is how we're supposed to interact. And henceforth, here are the expectations, you know, bequeathed upon you. And it's just, um, it's so tiresome. You know, we need to up-level the conversations and inter- interpersonal relationships beyond labels that we're slapping on people, you know? And so this goes to personal relationships, it goes to even military relationships, although, you know, I, I totally get it. It's like, hey, you know, that's the electrical officer. I go to him for, you know, which yeah. I was, right? You know, for certain things, right? 
So, so I'm not saying there's not utility. I'm just saying that if you really want to understand someone and have an authentic conversation, right? You have to you have to put the labels aside and just look that person in the eye and have the empathy, right? That we've been talking about to really understand someone, you know, and to understand where they're coming from, why are they acting a certain way, you know, what what does it feel like to be in there, walk in their shoes, as you're saying, Heidi, you know, and so, um, so I, I think that that's I forgot what the original question was. We were talking about expectations, mm -hmm. but you know, I just I just want to kind of throw that out in the universe, right, and just kind of just set that expectation of well, smashing through the labels, mm -hmm. right, you know, which I think can release us from unrealistic expectations which are crushing relationships you know or so, limiting right so yeah limiting yeah. i give this uh god i feel like i just keep talking about work but it, it is it is relatable uh so like in my experience coming from e1 to chief to officer back to chief right so basically what happened through that whole transition is i went from like zero to hero to still a respectable uh position but i think we were talking about this but what I've learned from this progression in my career uh, and then regression, right, is that what we do is we limit uh, the potential of personnel by a rank or a title. You know, so I would argue that I'm a chief petty officer, but my boss is getting commander work out of me at a chief. Like the mentorship, the late. Like, okay, here I am roostering, mm. bragging about myself. Look, yeah. <laughs> she goes, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> but my, my, my point with that is not that I'm Billy Badass over here. It's that, you know, one could look at me and say, well, he's a 19-year chief petty officer in the Navy, so, like, he obviously didn't have ambition or he doesn't have – like, it would be easy to put me in a box with this limiting expectation or – you could say, wow, this guy could like mentor senior leadership on, and you can apply that across a myriad of facets, right? Like different avenues, you know, so never let that you talked about, you know, the ex, you know, the labels, uh, putting people, I think it, it, it can also limit, you know, you have limiting expectations, right? Which I think you kind of talked about last night too. One thing I wrote down that I definitely wanted to cover before we close up, which we don't have to close up, but we're almost at two hours. Uh, but I'll, I'll go as long as you guys want. Uh, but one thing I definitely wanted to touch on that I wrote down was uh, one book that helped me relationship stuff <laughs> was uh, the, the Love Languages. Who, who wrote that? Do we, we have that over Gary there. Gary Chapman. Thank you. Yeah, it's on the bookshelf over there. Um, Actually, I'm gonna grab it. Uh, so, I love the love languages. I've learned, I've knew about it since I was a teenager, and it helped me to understand my family and my sister and my mom and my dad and just to all get each other. <laughs> my dad was very physical touch, and so like hugs and kisses and and all that. And I felt very loved because that's actually I felt I have like we have like one primary and then we have like a secondary love language. So let's uh. Sorry, I couldn't find yeah. it. It's over there. But uh, so the five love languages, does anybody remember I do. exactly what they are? Yep, I do. So we've right, got, awesome. got physical. Here we go. We've got the guru here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I use this every day. I use this a lot because it's – so think about we have a love tank, right? And so there's words of affirmation, 
Mm -hmm. We got physical touch, you know, it doesn't have to be like sexual. It can be just like, oh, you know, little pats on the back and, you know, hugs, um, massage, you know, things like that. So there's physical touch. And a lot of men will say it's physical touch. (laughs) A lot of men will say it's physical touch. And sometimes it really isn't right. Because that's, it's just the way men can, you know, feel close to say it in women as, as sex, but sometimes it's actually not. So a lot of times it's, um, you know, maybe more words or just quality, quality time would be number three, meaning, oh, I need to have time with you. My, my son is 10 years old and I'll be texting and I know he's quality time. He's like, mom, you're not, you're not, we're watching a movie, you know, and he's like, I want you to be, I want you to stop texting. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's right. So he wants me to be right there, very present, like all of me. And then there's gifts, which is actually way on the bottom of mine. Like gifts are not like, Anyway, so but but my sister is gifts, you know, because she'll go out of her way and buy things, and and that's their way of feeling loved. Um, and then the then the fifth would be access service, so doing things, housework, um, going out of their way. You know, words don't mean anything to these people. Maybe these people have been lied to, but word, you know, access service mean everything because you're doing it. You're telling, you're showing me that you love me. Um, Actions speak louder. Yes. Yeah, so, so but, but for people, if you want to bring it back to trauma, when physical touch is your primary love language, you know that's the, you know, you know that's the worst way you can hurt someone. Um, you know that becomes that's becomes very that's really a tough one. You know, like if it's and someone abuses you, takes advantage of you, or someone like cheats on you or has an affair, like a physical touch trauma would be the worst. For me, my love language is, is words of affirmation, and so it's it's words of affirmation. It even goes down to the tone of voice. Like you can tell me, critique me about my hair or what I'm wearing, but just sandwich it. Like tell me something nice, you know, tell me what I need to work on, it and make me hear something nice again. Because that's so like the tone of voice is really important. Or if you want to yell, you know, tell me something I need to work on, just make it really quiet so I can handle it. Because I'm very sensitive, so it's like harsh. So words of affirmation is is important to me which is interesting <laughs> but um just, just what would your uh, what would your secondary be it's physical touch so yeah. it's nice that dave and i actually have the same ones the uh i brought this up on purpose i think i, I got a point when we get to the end here but <laughs> in the book he talks about uh you can have a blend right mm-hmm. like you, can, you yeah, have a primary that. and a secondary mm-hmm. or however you want to say it uh, so what, what's your love language dave yeah i think she was dead on that in terms of um, the way I like to receive love is words of affirmation and, and physical touch. I, not to get too, uh, I don't know <laughs> what word to use, but I, mean, I think that's why we get along well, right? Because I think the way you communicate to people that are close to you, you're really good with words. And so when it lands on my ears, that's the way I like it to be received, right? You oh, know? Yeah. yeah. And then also just, you know, the bro hugs and everything. I mean, that's, yeah, that, that feels good to me, right? You know, and then in intimate relationships, it's it's the same, just like Maylene said, you know. So now in terms of giving, like how I like to put that out, I, I think it's also similar, right? Because I think it's a mistake to think that, you know, the way you like to receive love um, should also be the way that you Sometimes it out, different. Right? Some people are words of affirmation, but say I give a lot of acts of service. You know, mm-hmm. said so. Sometimes the way you give is different than the way you need. That's to the whole receive. point of the book, uh, yeah. book right? Yeah. Is that you need to understand what your partner's love language is. That way, you don't make that mistake of saying, "Well, these are my love languages." And so, you know, like if I like gifts, like if I just showered you with gifts, you would be like, 
yeah great you know well I think she was saying too but there are th- even just your tendency to express love without even knowing like let's say oh yeah you know your your um, love language was word words of affirmation mm-hmm. but that's not how I would instinctively express my love to you Mm-hmm. It would be like, oh, I, here, let me buy you some trail mix for your canister. Yeah. You know, your access service. So, I do yeah, like trail I mean, mix, but I know so. the book is trying to say, <laughs> yeah. okay, be aware, be aware. To, <laughs> to learn what your partner wants and then try to be, like, again, if you're aware of it, then you can potentially make more effort to, mm-hmm. to, to express that love. But I think what she was saying is what is good or what you're, you're receiving and may not be what your instinctive. This is how I'm going to express it. What's your love language? Well, I thought, I also thought, we, you know, very similarly, words of affirmation, mostly because of my background with constantly wanting to be told, you know, I'm worthy. Um, but I think it's probably more physical touch then. I mean, yeah. I I guess maybe it, I realized this more when, you were, when we were in a relationship and he was like gone for months. And I'm like, I just really was... Oh, on I, deployment. I just want to touch. And yeah. he would give me words of affirmation, but I'd be like, okay, but I just want, want to be held. <laughs> I just want to be close. Or yeah. just, you know, the physical touch. So I, I guess I'm not 100% sure which, but they're both really, really important to me. Gifts are low on the list for me. I mean, I love them, but they're not. What's, huge. Uh, what's my love language? I think words of affirmation. If I were going to pick That's words of I affirmation, huge. <laughs> what is it? Words of affirmation. What would you say is my secondary? Um, quality time. That's what. Yeah, I mean, I don't Maybe. know. I no. think it's touch. Probably okay. physical touch would be your secondary. But that's true. I mean, he mm-hmm. he does seem. Yeah, because I work a lot. Like I'm gone most of the time. So when we do, we do appreciate. Or you seem to, and well, we both appreciate. I will, like, if I'm not working, I'll come meet you for lunch, or we try to reserve Tuesdays because you don't work as late. Like, I do make an effort well, to... Well, the way that you made time for us to come here, you, you cleared your schedule, you didn't have your phone on. Like, I was like, you're definitely quality time. You're all here. You're very much, you give your quality time, at least to show your love to Oh, people. I work. Yeah, that's an effort, too. And you though, work honestly. on that. I, I'm, that's a conscious awareness. Like, that, uh, that bothers me when mm-hmm. people are like... I not with me when they're with me. Yeah, yeah, not, yeah not all yeah, the way like, present. Like, yeah, hey, man, so that's I why I was feeling it's quality it. time if, if I would like actually do yeah. that. But I feel like sometimes a lot of our love languages will be tied to how we were wounded as a child. Oh, yeah. So my mother was not good at words of affirmation. She was great at like giving me, you know, lessons and here's your education and here's this and this. But my my dad was very big on words of affirmation and gifts, so yes, he showed us love, but then I also had a parent that did none of those things. So it also be, and I, I wanted that from my mother, and I just never got it. I mean, she could, but she was also Filipino, so she would write me a birthday card, like in a fragmented sentence, you're a good daughter. But it was just like, <laughs> what? Yeah, right, yeah. I'm like, yeah. I just, can't you just tell me to my, you know, my face? So I felt like that was, I was, I felt maybe a little neglected there. Not bad, but just, she, and when I, by the time I got to be 20, I was like, oh my gosh, my mother really loves me. Like she put me through school, she did all these. And I had it like, like every time she does that, I have to say, oh, she says, she's like, I'm loving you. I'm like, I love you. And I had it like translated in my mind. That's interesting. Like I just had a thought that I never thought before, but when you brought that up, mm-hmm. it made me consider this. And I haven't shared this on the podcast and I'll be careful how I do, but uh, I would have not have said quality time. I would have said 
words of affirmation and touch. But I think you're actually right because I do have issues uh, for whatever reason, and I don't harbor any resentment, or maybe I do, uh, but my mother was not around a lot when I was growing up. Uh, she definitely gave me words of affirmation. Uh, she called me. She wrote me notes. Uh, but to be honest, she wasn't present. Mm -hmm. And my dad worked a lot. But I will say my dad did spend quality time with me. Like he would shoot the hoop with me. We'd go ride bicycles. Like he took me hunting. Uh, we did a lot of, I would hold the flashlight as he was working on the brakes, stuff like that. But whatever, it was still time. And I didn't spend a lot of time with my mom. And whether that's reality or not, that's my, that. And so would that would change your perspective of your mother should she had just carved out a little bit of time for you as a yeah, child? Yeah, yeah. Maybe it is quality time. Yeah, that's interesting. And maybe that does root from the trauma of like I felt like, I had a therapist tell me one time that I felt abandoned, you know. Um, I'm sure, Mom, I love you. Uh, I'm sure my mom would have a different angle, but the truth is, we didn't spend a lot of time. Yeah. And my stepmom was not really trying to raise kids either. So, yeah, that's interesting. Sorry not to make this whole thing about me, but. It's a revelation. Yeah. Well, I think the, the punchline there for folks listening is that. You know, the, the way you like to receive love is not necessarily the way that you should be giving love, right? And it takes yeah. time to understand, like, who's on the receiving end of your love giving, you know? And mm -hmm. and so, I mean, that's, a I think, a tremendous resource. If you're sort of wondering, like, well, I'm doing all this stuff for this person. I feel like energetically I'm expending myself, but not that's, you know, unrequited or not reciprocated. You know, that I think that book, The Five Long love languages can help to maybe elucidate further on you know what that the dynamic I, is i love human resources like so um, that was important for me to touch on so yeah love languages are great um that's all i had uh does that's anybody have anything they feel like we need to talk about or is that a safe place to land we think mm -hmm. we've does everybody feel good about what we've said mm -hmm. do we think we've helped people that's the goal, man. So well, just knowing just that, you know, even if you have a partner that has dealt with trauma or abuse or neglect or, you know, it takes, you know, there'll be some ups and downs, but you have to have a belief and you have to have faith and you have to trust that higher power is, is creating healing for for, for the highest outcome because I think that's why we're here on earth is to heal and to heal our souls and to heal our hearts and to you know to connect with all of us because we're here for each other like that's the purpose of being here is to heal each other and so I think that's what we're doing today again drop the mic again yeah <laughs> yeah but lower the well curtains said. you know <laughs> hey, uh, yeah. so in closing I just want to say I, I love each and every one of you, baby, I love you with all my heart. Thank you for uh, doing this with me. Thank you for inspiring me to do this. Um, you know, your greatest gift to me is exactly what she said. You know, just believe in me. So, uh, in closing, uh, just I want to thank all of you guys too for listening. Um, you know, I couldn't do any of this without your support. Uh, you know, if there's any way that uh, any of us can help you, I'll put some links in the show notes. Um, but if there's any way any of us can help you, that's what this project is about. Uh, don't be afraid. Don't hesitate. Don't let any fear of judgment or stigma hold you back from reaching out to myself, to Dave, to Maylene, or even to my wife. We're all here for you. And uh, 
man, like I wish somebody would have been there for me. So uh, that's that's what this is. All right, I love you guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for having us, Joe. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Bye.